Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery. We're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. In this show, we dive into the physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. You can listen on your favorite app or at jodystevens.org. Genuine Life Recovery is made possible by great friends like Joshua's Heart in memory of Joshua Brent Moore, bringing hope, love, and awareness to those afflicted by addiction online at joshesheart.org and Jody Stevens Productions for commercial voiceover, narration, production, MC, and public speaking online at jodystevens.org. Hey friends, and welcome back to Genuine Life Recovery. Today we are talking navigating dry January with coping strategies, biblical insights, tons more stuff. This stuff can apply whether it's January or not, but right now as I'm doing this recording, it is January 8th and a lot of people are participating in dry January. So what dry January is, is taking a break from alcohol for the month of January. So makes sense, right? It doesn't have to be alcohol, right? These ideas are going to apply to whatever it is that you may be wanting to reduce, cut back on, or think about quitting entirely. Um, you know, whether it's drugs or maybe you're trying to cut back on food, lose weight, you're, you find that you're struggling with an addiction to food or junk food uh, or things like that. So the goal is, you know, start the new year with a period of sobriety. I'm gonna focus on alcohol, but again, we're talking about a lot of different things that all of these ideas and principles are going to apply. And this is gonna help you assess your relationship with alcohol or what, whatever it is, help to you know, improve your well-being, establish some healthier habits in the long run. So one of the, the really important things in dealing with cutting back or reducing a substance like alcohol is coping strategies, right? Seeking, different coping strategies, also spiritual guidance. If you're a Christian like me, looking to the Lord to get us to that place where we're developing a healthier life and we're beginning to see maybe some of the ways that we were using this substance as a coping strategy. So we want to replace some of those old habits with some healthy habits, because if you're just giving something up, it's very hard to continue that journey unless you have something good and healthy to replace it with, right? Because otherwise it just becomes so negative. It's like, oh, I got to stop drinking. Oh, I got to stop eating so much. Instead of here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make these healthier choices. I'm going to join support groups. I'm going to have some fun things that I'm going to do. I'm going to read that book I always wanted to read. Um, so anyway, you get the idea. So a lot of times when we're using a substance, we are using it as a coping strategy for challenges, for stress and things like that. So we want to find some new ways to deal with those things, right? Maybe it's exercise if that's your thing or meditation, stuff like that. So dry January, it's not just about avoiding the alcohol. We want to work on personal growth. We want to work on the coping strategies, right? We want to work on, you know, what was the reason behind why I feel like I keep having to turn to alcohol, to turn to this substance, to deal with stress, to deal with my emotions, to deal with that person in my family, to deal with my boss. Because 
if you're drinking because of that, it's not helping. <laughs> Let's just get that out there. It is not, you know, like it might help, you know, the minute that you take the drink and you're like, ah, but ultimately it's just causing you to really just avoid the problem. Okay. And again, uh, if, if you find strength in your faith, and I hope that you do, I want to give you some suggestions for incorporating your faith because the Lord can bring us a sense of purpose when we surrender some of the stuff that we're trying to control to his leading. It can make the recovery journey so much more successful. So going back to the coping strategies, alcohol is usually linked to some underlying issues, right? Stress emotional struggles. Maybe it's social pressure, right? I mean, maybe it's the new year and you're looking at thinking like, I don't really enjoy what's happening with my social group. Like everybody goes out and gets drunk. I feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like I've outgrown that, but I don't really know how to leave it. So, you know, it, it could be just as simple as that. It could be um, an underlying issue of depression. It could be deeper than that in that you got out of a really bad marriage or went through a divorce. Maybe the marriage was abusive. Maybe you grew up with trauma and abuse and the alcohol is helping you, you know, in the interim deal with those things, right? If, if we're drinking and stuff like that to deal with trauma, it's, it's kind of a natural, normal reaction. Again, it's not helpful, but it's a normal reaction to trauma because if our brain is wired that way and we never learned a different way to cope, we're trying to fix what's wrong. We're trying to fix something, right? We're trying to fix what's wrong in our brain. And so uh, removing the substance and then isolating why we're doing what we're doing, because everybody does things for a reason, right? And then work on the underlying root causes. That's when we're going to find uh, some relief. So incorporating these coping strategies um, is going to be super, super, super important in the um, recovery process. So dry January, it can just help us create a toolkit for things that can keep us motivated through the month. Um, and I do want to talk about some of the, the benefits of that, right? You know, whenever we quit drinking, there's a lot of benefits or quit doing these negative things. Um, some of the obvious benefits are going to be, you know, we're going to sleep better. So I used alcohol for years and years and years and years to deal with insomnia. And so I would get drunk and pass out. Like it felt like that was the only way that I could go to sleep. Well, it wasn't helping, right? I mean, that's why when you, it's not funny, but you know what I mean? That's why when you, when you wake up with a huge hangover, you don't exactly feel well rested. It's almost better to sleep two hours sober than eight hours, you know, comatose. So, and it, it's been a long journey for me. I mean, I've been sober 18 years. Do I sleep all great and wonderful? No, no. I mean, I never have, but let me tell you something. As I worked through the underlying issues of that anxiety, the panic attacks, the insomnia, relinquishing control to the Lord for things I was trying to control, I began to sleep so much better. Still, you know, it's never going to be perfect, right? But once I was able to uncover and work on the root causes, anxiety decreased, sleep went up, right? 
Uh, you're going to be thinking better without the alcohol, right? I'm sure that um, that's kind of an obvious one right now. You know, it's going to help with weight loss. You're going to have better energy. You're going to uh, have healthier liver functions. You know, that's a big one. Um, you know, when I was drinking, I was taking all these supplements to try to help my liver. You know, I thought, okay, I'll get drunk every night and then I'll wake up and take, uh, oh, what's that stuff? I forget. It's like a a supplement that's a milk thistle. I would take my milk thistle and then I would go jog and I would sweat all the booze out. And it was just a ridiculous cycle. Um, so Again, you're going to have better liver function. You're going to save money because you're going to be not spending so much money on alcohol or drugs, and you're going to feel better, right? You're going to have better emotional well-being. You know, drugs and alcohol cause all kinds of dopamine surges, and then we withdraw. There's moods. You know, I was much angrier when I was drinking. I still struggled with anger and all these underlying issues that I had to deal with, but it was certainly... Um, you know, it was certainly better once I removed uh, the drugs and alcohol. Okay. So again, looking at these underlying issues is going to be super important. And then one of the things that we want to do, like we highlighted is to incorporate these different coping strategies. So if we're using alcohol to deal with the fact that we have insomnia like me, uh, you know, like I had a big thing might be like exercise, taking up jogging, taking up skiing. I ski all the time, doing something like seriously um, that releases a lot of endorphins that makes us really tired. That that can be helpful. Mindfulness is a really, really big one. One of the biggest causes of relapse for alcoholics and drug addicts is what's called negative effect, which is basically negative emotions, right? <laughs> so they have to have a really cool psychological word for it. But, you know, I mean, think about it. If you're frustrated, if you're angry, if you're full of rage, you're going to use that substance to calm down. And so until you deal with the anger and the stuff like that, it's not going to get better. And so this is where meditating or mindfulness, which is a buzzword right now, is really, really super important. And mindfulness, all that really is, is just being aware of where I'm at, checking in with myself through the day, right? Like right now I'm feeling really angry. Why is that? Oh, this person said this thing. What was it about that? Let's look at that. Let's work through that. Let's, um, you know, just understanding where you're at, kind of resetting rather than just kind of letting this stuff go and fester and fester and fester until we kind of end up in a position where we're just like, oh, screw it. I'm just going to drink. Right. So that's where the mindfulness and just being aware throughout the day, uh, you know, journaling is a big one. A lot of people like to journal. I was never very good at it. I keep trying. I, I feel like I don't get any better with the journaling, you know, uh, but that that can be great. There's there's things that like when I was getting sober, I had a sponsor have me do free writing that can be helpful. And you read it later and you're like, whoa, <laughs> you know, it's just it's getting this stuff out there. Right. Um. New hobbies, creative outlets, you get the idea, maybe mountain biking, again, jogging, skiing, reading those books that you want to read. You know, I've, I've gotten into reading a lot and 
it's become almost addicting, but I guess there are worse addictions, right? I'm reading all this true crime stuff. It's like kind of ridiculous, really. <laughs> but but I was trying to not watch so much of it on TV, like on Netflix, because it's it's you know it's it can get really dark. So I'm like, well, maybe if I if I, but I love the the true crime and the psychology of all of it. So I'm like, well, I'll start reading books, you know, like and rule and you know this and that. And but that's been really cool, you know. And, and it just keeps your brain going. I think it's better to read if you are going to take up maybe an interest in movies. That's fine too. What I always do is I put the subtitles on because then I feel better. Like, oh, I'm reading. Plus, I can't hear what these people are saying anyway. Everybody mumbles on TV. Uh, obviously, another coping strategy is having a great social network, right? That's going to be big. You know, um, like we said, maybe joining a church or, um, jo you know, volunteering, joining some athletic clubs or hiking groups, particularly like we talked about, if you have a group of friends where um, they're, they're drinking all the time and you just don't really know how to break out of that. It's going to be hard to break out of that if you don't have healthy people to lean on, you're going to keep kind of going back to the unhealthy ones. Um, learning something new, you know, take a take a music class. That can be a wonderful thing to do. Um, if you have extra money, you know, go back to school. I got a couple master's degrees. So, and it was wonderful. I mean, I, I wrote tons of papers and now I'm going to try to work on a book. And, um, you know, it just developed a lot of skills that were really helpful um, so, or nature, if you love nature, I love hiking, go on hikes. Like I said, join a hiking club, volunteer. There's so many people that need help and volunteering and helping others, of course, releases as much endorphins and stuff, uh, you know, in your brain as it does drugs and alcohol. So I've read, so volunteering can be huge. Um, if you taking a sip of my coffee. If you love music, you know, music therapy is kind of a big thing now um, because it works on the other uh, part of your brain. So, so it works on the right side of your brain. And so a lot of times music therapy can help us process difficult emotions. So if you love music, grab a guitar, grab an instrument, just strum it. Uh, breathing exercises, um, you know, some people maybe laugh at that, but I'm telling you with the insomnia that and the anxiety, that's one of the things that really, really took down my insomnia um, was really working on the just taking deep breaths, noticing what's happening with my breathing. That's part, you know, another mindfulness thing. And um, another fantastic coping strategy is going to be support groups, right? So if you're struggling with uh an addiction. You could even just go to celebrate recovery and, and kind of start there. And, and, and that way it's like habits, hurts, and hangups where really we're saying, you know, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic or all that. I just know that, that I have kind of this bad habit and, you know, I, I want to cut back this January. Right. And so that's, that's a really good place to start. So those are some coping strategies. Uh, there are tons more. Really, all you have to do is just Google coping strategies, go into your chat GPT, right? Make, make artificial intelligence do the work and say, hey, you know, what are, what are some coping strategies? And, and, you know, if you can't think of any or 
you didn't really like the ones that I came up with or whatever. Um, there, there's so many different ways, but the idea really is just replacing the drugs or the alcohol or whatever with something fun, something helpful and something healthy. Right. And then relying on God for strength, right? The Lord is a huge source of inner strength for our recovery journey. Praying is also another coping mechanism, right? When we're, you know, one of the things early in sobriety is part of the reason I would drink is I had all this anxiety and I was in the corporate radio world and these things would happen with people. And I realized that I didn't know how to deal with life, didn't know how to deal with conflict. And so that's why I would drink. I just couldn't deal with, I'm, I'm very sensitive. I'm probably one of those highly sensitive people, you know, and so I would drink to try to, to try to calm down. Well, once I quit drinking, I couldn't do that anymore. So I would pray a lot and I would just be like, Lord, I give this situation to you because I don't know what to do. I don't know how to deal with this person. And I'm telling you within, usually for me, it took about 24 hours. I'd have to kind of sleep on it, but the answer would come. The way to help that person, the way to deal with it would come. And then later God opened the door for me to get a master's degree in leadership. And I began to learn how, you know, to deal with those conflict skills. I'm not saying you have to do that. Trust me, you don't, because he would help me anyway. But now I, I have some better skills in dealing with things that I, I couldn't deal with before. Okay. Community support in churches, you know, we talked about Celebrate Recovery. You could just join the church and they always need volunteers at the church. <laughs> just be careful. <laughs> That's where you have to have some boundaries. Otherwise, you'll be doing everything. But, you know, you could you, encouragement is there. Scriptures are there. Bible studies are there. I do a, a home Bible study group. It's wonderful. Joining a small group is great for accountability and stuff like that. And you would be surprised, like every small group I've joined, pe there are people in there that are sober or are getting sober or have family members who are alcoholics. So it's a great way to get involved, connect with people and give back, but also find uh, the support, the, the um, support that you need. Also, what's God's plan? You know, when we connect with the Lord through, even if it's just through this dry January, we're, we're looking at God's plan for my life. You know, is God's plan for me to be getting drunk every night? I don't think so. It's not doing drugs, whatever. So uh, the Lord has a, a wonderful plan for your life. And so this can give you some time as we remove the alcohol. One of those coping strategies could just be some prayer and meditation and kind of reflecting on which way that uh, the Lord wants you to go. One of the things that saved me, literally, I think saved my life was gratitude and thankfulness. Again, I talked about negative emotions, negative effect being one of the biggest causes of relapse. And one of the biggest causes is just, we're just complaining, groany, unhappy. We don't stop to think about all the beautiful blessings and just be super thankful, right? For that we're alive, <laughs> that we're, you know, alive and kicking, you know, I'm, I'm super thankful. 
Uh, I didn't used to be. I used to be very angry. And slowly as I began to incorporate that gratitude and that thankfulness into my life, that is when so much change began. And then that's when the journey towards finding that meaning and purpose was huge. So take this time in January to practice gratitude and find that meaning and purpose. And it could save your life. Remember Viktor Frankl, the concentration camp survivor? He's in a concentration camp. He's starving to death. He's like about to die. And he notices that the only people that are surviving are the ones that have found meaning and purpose in this whole horrible mess. And that's what he did. And it saved his life. He got out of that and went on to change the world and and very uh, much contribute to mental health and psychology through just that concept. Okay. Another thing that can be super helpful is scripture memorization. This is another thing I'm horrible with, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um, because when you're in a situation where you're stressed or you're tempted, you can meditate on that scripture and it can, it can really fill your mind and heart with the truth, which can then really help you to navigate that challenge, whether it's the fear or the anxiety or the person that's telling you that you need to drink or the bar that's calling your name. Uh, the other beautiful thing about our faith is the confession and the repentance. So confession, here's why confession is such a big deal. And this is in AA too. It doesn't, you don't have to go to like a priest to confess. You know, the, the Bible talks about confessing your sins to one another so that we may be healed. Why is this healing? It's healing, but it's only healing if you confess to the right person. If you confess to your abuser or something like that, right? If you're in a bad situation or if you confess to an unhealthy person who might use those confessions against you, it's not going to be helpful. But confession is, it's a cleanser and it is a shame reducer. And if you confess to a loving, healthy person, a sponsor in AA, right? Um, a, a really good, healthy pastor, whatever it is. What happens is that person is reflecting back to you, right? Hopefully it's in person. They're looking into your eyes. They're showing compassion. They're showing love. They're not judging you. This is huge. This is very cleansing and very healing. And obviously the Lord knew that before it became something that was so important in recovery and psychology. Okay. Uh, also, just utilize the support around you. There's all kinds of support groups, again, churches, resources. And the other important thing is to recognize your accomplishments. It can be challenging to do because if we're giving up alcohol, other things are going to come up. Things are going to be frustrating sometimes. We're going to feel some emotions. We're going to feel some anger. But let's look at what we're doing. Okay. Wow. I've, I've given up alcohol for this long. I'm a little frustrated. I'm experiencing some anger and that's okay because that's pretty normal. If you're using a substance to cope, all the stuff you're trying to cope with is going to come up. All right. But that's okay because all of our emotions, frustrations, they're all trying to tell us something. 
Anger isn't bad. None of our emotions are bad. They get out of control because we're not dealing with them. They just like build up and build up. But they, there's a point in, and they're trying to tell us something. So working through that, right, and figuring out what what um, what those emotions are trying to tell us is huge. And that's a whole another piece of um, mindfulness and things like that. And so recognizing the good things we're doing, rewarding ourselves on the journey, you know, like with weight loss, it can be frustrating, especially for women my age, kind of the mental pausal thing where like I'm working out seven days a week, I'm reducing calories, nothing's happening, right? The scale's not moving. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like this just is not fair. And we're the ones that are supposed to be thin and we're the ones that have all the hormones and we're the ones that can't lose the weight as easy usually as the guys. It's just the way it is, right? That's where surrender comes in. But you know, it's like, hey, well, I feel better. I'm sleeping better. I'm eating better. Eventually the pounds will start to come off, but it's going to be a journey because the older we get, it's just harder, right? It's just the way it is. And so if we can just realize it's a journey, be patient along the way, we're going to get to where we need to get. You know, you didn't, if you are feeling like maybe you have an alcohol problem or you're an alcoholic, you, you didn't get there overnight. It was a journey to get there and it's going to be a journey to get um, past it and to work through all that stuff. And that's okay. Plenty of scriptures that can help us with our spiritual guidance. You know, obviously Philippians 4.13 is wonderful. I can do all things through him who gives me strength, right? We can lean on God when we face the challenges, the temptations, all those sorts of things. Surrender is huge, right? God grant me the serenity to accept what I can't change, the courage to change what I can, and then help me to know the difference. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. So we're submitting to God. We're saying, I don't get it. Right? That's, that's, that ties in with the serenity prayer. It's just saying, I don't understand what's happening right now. Okay. But I trust that you do. Right. Uh, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee come near to God and he will come near to you. This is huge. This is huge for trying to get sober, trying to give up any kind of a substance because the enemy wants us to keep drinking, wants us to be alone, wants us to be in shame, wants us not to be connected with God, wants us to be depressed, wants us to be have personality disorders, wants us to be psycho. <laughs> you know, I mean, everything bad is the enemy. And if, if we think that, you know, and the enemy's ancient, if you believe in the devil, as I do, he's ancient. And he was the classic narcissist, right? He was the one that said, I want to be as good as God. I want to be better than God. I'm going to exalt myself above the Lord. And God threw him down where he belonged to earth. Well, I don't know why he threw him down to us. I, you know, that's a question for the Lord. But the reality is he roars around like a lion looking for people to devour, as the Bible says, and devour he does. And so we're certainly no match for the ancient evil one, but God has already defeated the evil one. We see that in the battle in the end of times. We see everything that's unfolding before our eyes. 
you know, if you're, you're a Christian and you know the Bible, you see what's happening. You look around, you go, oh, prophecies are coming true. So that can add some hope to you. But but understanding that in order to resist the enemy, we need God. We need God to help us. We need those scriptures. Jesus told us that we could drive out the enemy, that we could drive out demons, that we could do all of these things in his name. Okay. So submit to God, resist the devil. Um, praying and meditating is going to be huge. Prayers of surrender are going to help you along that uh, path. Again, the serenity prayer. This is huge because so often, so much of our addictive behavior and emotions, negative emotions are coming from trying to control the things that we can't control. You know, I mean, here's like a, just a simple example. I mean, I, I coach downhill skiing and anybody that has kids knows you tell them the same thing 600 times and they just don't, I mean, they don't hear. And then you get in trouble and the higher ups get in trouble, you know, because there's cameras all over the mountain and they're supposed to ski in a single file. So a hundred times, single file, sink. And then I look behind me. I mean, they just go where they want, you know, that's, you know, I can't control that. I can, I can do what I can, but you know, we only could do what we can. And then we get frustrated and start screaming and yelling. And at some point it's, it's just, God grant me the serenity except what I can't change, courage to change what I can. And when we are ruminating and going around and around in our mind, we don't have to be a controlling person to be controlling. We can just be mentally obsessed with something someone did or said without ever saying a word to them. And we're trying to control it. So if you're if you're like me, I never was overtly controlling. I never tried to control people. I would just mentally obsess for hours. They don't like me. They're doing this. And then I would drink over it when maybe none of it was true. And so for me, that's where um, the, the serenity prayer came in. And, you know, that's where it was just absolutely huge for me. Maybe you like walking. You could do prayer walks. I do that a lot. I just go out and walk and then I pray when I'm walking. That's another wonderful way, another coping strategy that incorporates uh, biblical principles. Maybe a prayer room, right? The prayer warrior with the prayer room. Um... Prayer partnerships, this is great. It's almost like having a sponsor in AA or something where you just decide to pray for one another and then maybe um, you connect with each other and you, you know, spend some time in prayer. And again, the gratitude prayer is huge. You know, we talked about that. Um, this God, thank you. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for helping me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The Bible talks about being thankful so, so many times. And um, again, just reflecting on your progress. Another big one is to set some really good goals, right? The SMART goals <laughs> is huge. SMART, measurable, achievable, realistic, that's SMART, and timely. So all it really means is if I say I got to lose 60 pounds this month, that's never going to happen. Right. So set set a goal that's realistic, because if it's not realistic, you're not going to get to the other side of it. 
So, and, and then maybe create some milestones, right? Where you reward yourself. All these things are, are super, super important. And again, the, the emotional check-ins, right? That mindfulness where I'm checking in with myself, right? To, to see, okay, how am I doing? Right. Am I, am I angry? Um, you know, am I feeling, you know, horribly anxious, right? So those are going to be huge. Um, and lastly, professional guidance. You know, that's huge. That's absolutely huge because a lot of times we, you know, and we all need support and we all need therapy at times. Not everybody needs therapy, but a lot of us do. And I've done a lot of therapy and it's been life-changing. It's been super, super helpful. The beautiful thing is if you are a Christian, there are plenty of Christian therapists that can help you through difficult times. You know, the thing of it is, is everybody's doing therapy now. <laughs> like, it's okay. There's nothing to be ashamed of. So many people are, are in therapy and that's a good thing. And, and, and so, so, you know, it's not as stigmatized as it used to be. You can find plenty of great Christian therapists. Now, a lot of people in the faith feel like therapy maybe is something bad but the thing of it is, is all the stuff that I just talked about, that's going to be a lot of a, a plan. If you see a therapist, a lot of the stuff I just mentioned is going to be some things that they're going to incorporate. The thing of it is, is if you have a Christian therapist, they're going to have a, what's called a Christian worldview. So what that means is, as opposed to a therapist that has a scientific worldview, your therapist with a Christian worldview is going to believe in the afterlife. They're going to believe in God. They're going to believe that you were designed for a purpose. They're going to believe that this isn't the end of the story, right? That God has a plan for your life, that we are saved, that we get to be with Jesus for eternity, right? They're still going to use a lot of the same therapeutic concepts. They still have the same training, right? They just have a biblical worldview. Most likely they're not going to do hypnosis or really weird stuff like that. Makes sense. Okay. So anyway, um, I hope that some of these things were helpful for you, whether or not you're trying to just quit alcohol or quit something else. All these things can be keys to your recovery, or maybe you are just trying to quit for the month, you know, just having a dry January. This is a great time to take a couple of weeks and eliminate that substance or cut back and reflect on the whys and wherefores of why you're doing what you're doing and then maybe continue that dry january journey on to february and then march and then april and it could be the beginning of a whole new sober lifestyle of connecting with the lord and developing a deeper understanding of God's meaning and purpose for your life. So thank you so much for joining me. Let everybody know about this podcast, Genuine Life Recovery. You can leave a review on iTunes. That'd be awesome. And you can listen on iTunes and tune in and Spotify, and you can watch on YouTube. So basically we're on YouTube and then uh, Genuine Life Recovery on YouTube. And then this plays on, the audio plays on most of the podcast apps. And then you can also listen through my website when you click podcasts uh, right there on my website. And that is jodystevens.org, J-O-D-I-E, 
S-T-E-V-E-N-S, jodystevens.org. So thank you, friends, for listening. Make it a dry January. Thank you so much, friends, for listening to Genuine Life Recovery, playing on your favorite app or on my website at jodystevens.org. It's J-O-D-I-E-S-T-E-V-E-N-S, jodystevens.org. There you can check out my podcast, blog, recovery coaching info, speaking, and more. Check it out.